Welcome back to Time Out Radio on KDRT 95.7 FM in Davis, California. This is your host, Rohan Bakshi. You're probably enjoying a couple weeks off from school for winter break, and once you've played that new video game you got for Christmas, eating a big holiday dinner, and caught up with your sleep, you may want to get into the urban wilderness to enjoy your local preserve, which is what this episode of Time Out Radio is all about. Walking in a quiet urban setting with shade and greenery has been shown to significantly improve mood, reduce stress, and improve people's mental health. On the other hand, walking in a noisy urban setting without any shade or plants increases stress levels. The area around my town of Davis, California has several urban nature preserves. These are enjoyed by people of all ages and abilities, and it's on all of us to protect and maintain these preserves for other visitors. If you love spending time in nature, you have probably heard the phrase, leave no trace. This is a science-based code of ethics for outdoor enthusiasts that have been around for decades. It began in the 1960s when outdoor recreation and the ability to buy camping and hiking gear became more popular. As more people began spending more time hiking and camping, the need for conservation education grew. The seven principles of Leave No Trace are used by the U.S. Forest Service, National Park Service, and Bureau of Land Management, and many other organizations. They apply not to just hiking or camping in the wild, but also when we visit our urban nature preserves. The first principle is to plan ahead and prepare. Plan ahead by considering your goals and needs and those of your group. Plan your route before you head out by looking up online maps. If you're bringing a pet, bring along bags to dispose of their waste. Check the weather forecast before you head out and dress accordingly. Bring water and food, especially if you're planning to stay a while. Know the regulations and special concerns for the area you will visit. Schedule your trip to avoid times of high use and visit in small groups if you can. The second principle is to travel on durable surfaces. This means staying on the marked and maintained trails. Going off trail or letting your pet wander away from the trail can damage vegetation, harm wildlife, and cause erosion. If a trail is closed, avoid that route. The third principle is to dispose of waste properly. Pack it in, pack it out. If you're planning to have a picnic there, bring a bag to take away all of your trash, including food crumbs, orange peels, and apple cores. Make sure you bag your dog's waste and carry it out. While leaving one poop behind may not seem like a lot, it quickly adds up. Cleaning up after your pets protects our water resources, plant life, and habitat for native animals. The fourth principle is to leave what you find. Pass on the gift of discovery to the next visitor by preserving the past and leaving what you find in nature. Avoid introducing or transporting non-native species. Don't take rocks, leaves, branches, plants, feathers, and other natural objects with you. Instead, bring your camera to collect and share your memories. Pay attention to the saying, take nothing but memories, leave nothing but footprints. The fifth principle of leave no trace is to minimize campfire impacts. Camping and fires are usually prohibited at urban preserves, and campfires can cause lasting damage to the environment. The sixth principle is to respect wildlife. 
observe wildlife from a safe distance, and avoid disturbing them in their natural habitat. Don't follow or approach them. Don't yell or allow children to yell at an animal to get its attention and never try to pick up an animal. Feeding wildlife human food, even bread, damages their health, alters their natural behaviors to stay away from humans, and exposes them to predators. Make sure you don't allow your dog to chase wild animals and keep your pets leashed. The seventh principle is to be considerate of other visitors. We have so many people who visit our urban preserves in Yolo County. I see families, birders, runners, walkers, bikers, people of all abilities, and kids and strollers all visiting these trails. Share the trail and yield to other users. Allow nature's sounds to prevail. Some people like listening to music or podcasts when they walk. If you want to do this, remember to use headphones and keep the volume at a low level so you can still hear other noises such as cyclists or runners. The Cache Creek Nature Preserve is a 130-acre area of wetlands, oak woodlands, grasslands, and creekside lands in Yolo County, California, not far from where I live. The headquarters of the creek are in Clear Lake, and Cache Creek extends for 75 miles through three counties. Our guest on today's episode is Felicia Wang, who is a restoration biologist at the Cache Creek Conservancy. Then we travel 800 miles southeast to the state of Arizona, home to the largest urban preserve in the United States. The McDowell Sonoran Preserve has 35,000 protected acres of desert landscape, where you can surround yourselves with towering cacti, native wildflowers, native plants, and wildlife. Up next is Peace of Mind by Disco Lines, Daya, and Shipwreck. Peace, my. 
Welcome back to Time Out Radio on KDRT 95.7 FM in Davis, California. This is your host, Rohan Bakshi. Our guest on today's episode is Felicia Wang, who is a restoration biologist at the Cache Creek Conservancy in Woodland, California. Felicia started working there about a year ago after she completed her bachelor's degree in evolution, ecology, and biodiversity and psychology at UC Davis. So Felicia, welcome to Time Out Radio. First off, after 100 years uh, as a working farm and sheep ranch, the area that is now the Cache Creek Nature Preserve became a gravel mine restored two decades ago. So how and why was Cache Creek Conservancy established? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, by the way. So the Cache Creek Conservancy was born out of the gravel war disagreements between the County Board of Supervisors, the gravel mining industry, Creekside landowners, farmers, and environmentalists. So there was a lot of debate about concerns over the environmental damage caused by in-channel gravel mining. So through all that debate, there was new legislation that was passed to prohibit in-channel mining, and then it would require mitigation after any um, off-channel mining. And amidst this period of change, the Cache Conservancy was founded in 1996 to help plan and implement the restoration efforts on the previously mined stretches of the Cache Creek. So we were given responsibility of a property that was deeded to the county from a gravel mine company, and the Cache Creek Nature Preserve officially opened in 2000. Yeah, and your role in the conservancy is to conduct wildlife monitoring, such as bird nest box monitoring, bird surveys, and wildlife camera traps. You help coordinate the ecological and environmental internship program and, uh, you know, plan outreach activities like the bird walks. What are some of the ecological challenges of the geographic area that Cache Creek Conservancy works in? Yeah, well, we have several habitat types within uh, the nature preserve, which is a little over 130 acres, and each of them has their own challenges. Um, landscapes are always changing, be it from natural processes or human ones. And in some ways, those changes are predictable. In other ways, they are not. So like with many riparian habitats, we experience a lot of changes in water level, including flooding and periodic drought. So plants and wildlife that live in this area really need to be able to adapt to those changes. Sometimes they're dramatic, so they need to be responsive to those changes. Um, the Cache Creek itself is an ephemeral creek, which means that parts of the creek have surface water year-round while other stretches of the creek are underground. Um, so the creek channel itself is also constantly shifting. And this can be a challenge for us when we want to plan restoration efforts along the creek. Like if we plan like a planting on one part of the creek, but then we find a year or maybe a few years down the line that the creek channel has shifted and now suddenly all those plants that we planted no longer have access to surface water, then that can be, you know, a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, so managing invasive plants is also something that we have a big focus on since the beginning of the conservancy. Some of these invasive plants like Arundo and Tamarisk are very water intensive and they don't provide very much habitat quality for wildlife. So with lots of hard work, we've managed to reduce the invasive population to about 80% contained, but we're never realistically going to be able to fully eradicate all the invasives there just because you're getting new seeds coming down from upstream and new patches just keep popping up. So it's something you have to consistently manage for. Yeah, for sure. And what's sort of the recent focus of the Cache Creek Conservancy's work? 
Yeah, our overarching goals are to restore, preserve, and protect the Lower Cache Creek watershed. But our current focuses are on invasive weed management, like I just mentioned, um, development of opportunities to partner with the county and other organizations. Like we're working on plans for universal trails and also other educational programs. We conduct a lot of annual monitoring on and off the preserve. We manage the Cache Creek Nature Preserve, of course, and the continuation of our cultural burn workshops. So we also coordinate lots of outreach and intergenerational programs like creek cleanup, night walk, bird counts and surveys, and visits to local nursing homes. Yeah, and the Cache Creek Nature Preserve has several habitats. You know, there's the oak savanna, the native grassland, riparian forest, wetlands, and a Native American garden. And environmental education is part of the Conservancy's efforts Tell us about your education program for K through 12 students. We've actually mostly shifted away from K through 12 education, especially since COVID. I think we used to have tons of school groups that would come out here, usually younger children. Uh, but since COVID, a lot of them have, haven't started coming back. Uh, so sometimes we'll occasionally get high school field trip groups that come out here and they want to get their hands dirty and they'll help us with weeding or planting. In terms of K through 12 right now, we do have traditional ecological knowledge program, so TEK or tech program. Um, we've been running that program for the past two years. And this program is designed to teach youth from ages 14 to 17 about California native culture, art and history, as well as um, ecological management techniques. So that's what we currently do for K through 12. Yeah. And besides your uh, ecology side, you're also fascinated by human learning and the power of collective action um, and love sharing your knowledge and appreciation for nature with others. And Cash Creek Nature Preserve has an internship program for college students. What do students learn and do there as interns? Yeah, um, our undergraduate level internship program is composed of three project teams. So we have bird nest box monitoring, horticulture and wildlife monitoring. Um, so the interns in those programs gain a lot of experience in habitat restoration for native wildlife and plants within the nature preserve, as well as other sites along the Cache Creek. Students get to apply what they've learned in the lecture hall to like a real life, real world field setting. And our internship program is also designed to provide career exploration for our interns. So a lot of them are interested in this field as a career when they grow up. So this is an opportunity for them to experience it and see what it's like and see if they enjoy it. And we offer the internship program throughout the year. So if anyone's interested, you can always apply. <laughs> yeah. And our area was originally home of the indigenous Winton people. And the Conservancy has uh, attending and gathering garden in collaboration with the local Native American community. So why is this work of restoring native plants so important? Uh, restoring native plants is really important because native plants have been here for hundreds of years. So of course, they're deeply integrated into our local landscapes. They're adapted to growing best in their native ranges, so it makes sense to keep them there. They've also just evolved with the wildlife around them, so they provide a lot of essential habitat resources like food and shelter that non-native plants can't really do that. So yeah, that's why native plants are so important. 
And you recently had um, a bunch of children at the Cache Creek Conservancy who learned how to fish there under the guidance of the California Department of Fish and Wildlife staff. And after, you know, many years of drought, there were no actual fish in the pond that were large enough to be caught. And this event was mainly for education. However, there were other ponds in our area that may have fish like rainbow trout. So what should people in our area who are interested in fishing in our local urban ponds be aware of? Yeah, uh, for starters, the Learn to Cast event was mostly educational and just for fun. That event was actually run by the Yolo County Library and CDFW. We just kind of provided the preserve as like an area for them to learn to cast. But the turnout was really amazing and it was great to see all the families spending time outdoors. So we don't actually normally allow fishing in our wetlands, but we allowed it for the event. But fishing is definitely allowed in the Cache Creek. I'm not a fisher myself, but for starters, I think you should make sure you have the proper fishing licenses and permissions for wherever you're fishing. Um, you should also be familiar with the safety conditions of the waters you plan on fishing in. I know there are certain bodies of waters that are contaminated, and if you plan on eating any of the fish that you catch, there might be like bioaccumulation of chemicals in the fish. So you should really do the research on the area that you want to fish in um, and just make sure that you have all the proper permissions and you know the regulations around you. So you could check out CDFW website mm -hmm. to learn all that. Yeah. And I also read about the cultural burn event that the Conservancy recently held to teach the public about indigenous ways of environmental stewardship. Tell us a little bit about the cultural burns and how they help our local ecology. Yeah, so there's a lot of ecological benefits to cultural burns. Cultural burns are a little different from prescribed burns in that cultural burns, they avoid the use of chemical accelerants and they tend to be lower intensity in their temperature. They also focus on enhancing the habitat, not just preventing wildfires, and they can be targeted to enhance specific plants like for basketry and food. The benefits, there's lots of benefits to cultural burns, and those things include removal of invasive plants that are not fire adapted. Fires can actually help native plants that rely on high temperatures to germinate their seeds, so it helps propagate new growth. It helps rejuvenate the soil. And it also removes a lot of like built up dead plant matter called thatch. So it helps prevent future wildfires and also promote new plant growth because it gives you the new space for plants to grow in. Yeah. And the Conservancy holds walks through the Cash Creek Nature Preserve on weekends. Tell us about the highlights of these walks. Yeah. Our guided nature walks are led by two of our highly knowledgeable docents. Um, and what you take away from the walks probably really depends on your own interests. So some people might really enjoy the natural scenery of the nature preserve. Some people are, might be really interested in the wildlife and the plants, um, while others maybe are just really interested in learning about the history of the preserve and the surrounding landscape. So it really depends on what you like and what you're interested in. But I was talking to our executive director, Nancy Ulrey, and she was telling me something that was a real highlight for her was Detroit riprap. Do you, do you know what that is? No, I've never heard of that. What is well, that? It's basically, it was a, a strategy that was developed in the 1900s, which was an attempt to prevent erosion by stringing up a bunch of old cars along a dirt bank and connecting them with the cable to prevent the bank from eroding away. So public officials at that time really believed that it would help protect flood levees and farmlands. It actually didn't really work because 
the cables mm. broke and the cars all got washed away down the creek. Oh. Um, so it definitely did a lot more harm than good. And a lot of you can still see some of those old cars kind of peeking out of the dirt and the banks at the Cache Creek Nature Preserve. But at the time, people really thought they were doing the right thing. So it kind of just goes to show that conservation and restoration are still very much evolving practices. Yeah, for sure. And if our listeners want to know more about Cache Creek Nature Preserve, how can they find out more about it? You know, website, social media, how can people keep in touch? Yeah, we have a website where you can definitely learn more about the Conservancy and the Nature Preserve. The website is www.cachecreekconservancy.org. We also have social media in the form of Instagram and Facebook. Um, Our social media handles are just Cache Creek Conservancy. Or you can just come on out physically and check out the Nature Preserve. Mm -hmm. Um, Our address is 34199 County Road 20 in Woodland, California. All right. Well, thank you so much, Felicia, for joining me on Time Out Radio today. Thank you for having me. All right. That's Felicia Wang, who is a restoration biologist at the Cash Creek Conservancy. And that was A Good Time Coming, March of the Nutcracker by Yes Yes.
In today's travel segment, we visit Arizona, the Grand Canyon State, located in the Southwest United States. Arizona is home to over 7 million people. Its capital and largest city is Phoenix. The Colorado River separates Arizona from Nevada and California to the west. Gold and silver was discovered in the area in the 1850s, and the opening of railroads in the 1880s brought in settlers from the eastern United States. Arizona became a territory in 1863 and a state in 1912. The state's population boomed after World War II when soldiers who trained at military bases in Arizona returned and settled there with their families after the war ended. About 85% of the state has national forests, national parks, recreation and wilderness areas, wildlife preserves, and Native American reservations. Arizona is home to Sky Islands. These are mountains surrounded by valleys where you can find a range of ecosystems, plants, and animals. The state tree is the Palo Verde, which means green stick in Spanish. The bark of this tree is green and unlike most trees, it does most of its photosynthesis through its bark instead of its leaves. The iconic saguaro cactus, which lives only in the Sonoran Desert, is the state's most recognizable plant. The state flower is the saguaro cactus flower. Saguaro cactus are very slow growing and it can take 10 years for them to reach 1 inch in height. But these mighty cacti eventually grow to become 40 to 60 feet tall. With the right growing conditions, saguaros can live to be 150 to 200 years old. When rain is plentiful and the saguaro is fully hydrated, it can weigh about 4,000 pounds. While most people in the United States change our clocks twice a year, Arizona does not observe daylight saving time. Arizona remains on Mountain Standard Time year-round except for the Navajo Nation in northeastern Arizona. There are 22 Native American tribes in Arizona, and the Navajo are Arizona's largest indigenous group. Arizona's national parks and monuments, such as Grand Canyon National Park, bring in millions of visitors to the state each year. The Grand Canyon National Park is one of the seven natural wonders of the world, and the only one located within the United States. You've heard of snail mail, but have you heard of mule mail? U.S. Postal Service mail is still delivered by mule in one remote part of Arizona on the Havasupai Native Reservation, which is surrounded by the Grand Canyon. It is one of the most remote Native American reservations in the country and is not accessible by road. Havasupai means people of the blue-green waters, and the area has spectacular waterfalls. If you decide to visit, remember that no day hiking is allowed, and reservations are required for hikers and campers. Make sure you are fit, well hydrated, and prepared for a challenging desert hike. So that wraps up our journey to our place of the week, the state of Arizona. Alright, let's call a timeout for timeout radio. This was your host, Rohan Bakshi. You're listening to Cater 95.7 FM with a grassroots grow. Have a great day, everyone, and happy holidays. See you next year.